Let me pray before we read God's word this morning. Lord and our God, we do pray that you would set our feet on firm ground this morning. We would find that we are anchored in your word. And it is your word that we hear that stirs our hearts, be it true. Seal it upon us by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. This is the holy and errant word of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Be to God. Amen. These two verses uh, here in Colossians serve as a kind of summary statement by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He is reiterating what he has already said a number of times already in this book, and that he will say again as we go through this book. We'll keep finding these same kind of themes, but here these two verses kind of sit in the middle of the book as as a way of summarizing the entire teaching of the whole book. He is giving a summary of the entire message to these struggling Colossian Christians. And this morning what I want to do is I want to look especially at just that first phrase, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So we're going to break it down this way. What is the essential message of the Christian life? The essential message, and then I want to look at the extraordinary nature of that message, and then finally we'll just look at the rest of these two verses, Paul's emphasis in this message. So what is the essential message of the Christian life, the extraordinary nature of this message, and finally the emphasis that Paul places within this message? And then we'll just look briefly at the application that Paul pulls out in this text. But Paul begins in this summary statement with the essential message of the Christian life. He said, you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, you received. Let's remind ourselves that these Colossian Christians, they were being assaulted. They weren't being assaulted outwardly, physically, but they were being assaulted by false teachers who were saying to these Colossian Christians, "You, you need more. What you have received... What you have believed is not enough. There's more. There's some secret knowledge that you must come to. And as you can imagine and can guess, it's these false teachers who have this secret knowledge. But Paul says to the Colossians, as he has already told them in the book, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. You you received him. It's past tense. It's completed. It's done. It's already occurred. That word that Paul uses for received here is a verb that was often used to speak about receiving something that was given by tradition. And Paul uh, will say this, and it's important because in verse 8, he will say, look, they are trying to lead you astray. These false teachers are trying to take you captive by mere human tradition. He's saying, no, 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 no. You have the tradition that's needed. You have Christ. You have Christ Jesus the Lord. 
You've already received the essential message. How? By receiving the preaching that they heard. How did they receive Christ? And our answer is that they heard and believed the truth of Christ that was preached to them. Let's remember that during this time that there was no New Testament to speak of. Right? The apostles are just now writing the Gospels and Paul is writing his letters like this letter. And so there was no New Testament for them to turn to. No, the the gospel was preached. It was passed on orally. It was passed from person to person. One person telling another person. This wasn't that odd. This kind of passing on and receiving was nothing new to the people of that day. It was common in the ancient world where there wasn't a lot of books. There weren't volumes on people's shelves. Most knowledge was received by someone passing it on to something else. It, it was passed on and it was received. What do these Colossian Christians receive? What is the essential message of the Christian life? Well, Paul summarizes it by saying Christ Jesus, the Lord. That's the message. That's the message that they heard Epaphras preach, and Epaphras heard Paul preach, and that's the message that they received, and they had received the truth, Paul says. It was sufficient. It was enough. Let's get a little more specific about what that would have been. There are all kinds of people that preach Christ and, and will proclaim Christ from everything from Proclaiming Christ for salvation to proclaiming Christ that you might have all the things in this world that you desire, all the riches. People that will attach the name of Christ, uh, scoring touchdowns to, uh, I don't know, to finding parking places, everything. But that is not the message that Paul has here. The kind of message that is essential, that Paul is teaching, that these Colossians received, is is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he preached. So let's flip over there, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. This is the essential message. This is what they heard Paul preach and heard Epaphras preach and that the apostles preached. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. What did Paul deliver? What did they receive about Christ Jesus? They received that He died that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he ascended. This is what they received. This was the testimony. This is the essential message of the Christian life because this is the message of the Christian faith. Christ died. He was buried. And he was resurrected in glory. He appeared to many. Before his ascension. The true testimony. And he did all of this for us. This is the heart of the gospel that must be received. And that's the message that now fills the pages of this book. 
What Paul preached and what Epaphras preached is now inscripturated in the New Testament Gospels. And then it's fleshed out in these letters of the apostles. It's here, the, the same message, the same essential message. And just as they were to receive it, so are we. And just as they were to pass it on, so are we. But here's what's extraordinary about this message. The extraordinary nature of this message, our second point. Paul is speaking to Christians. And here's what's extraordinary. As we receive the message of Christ, we receive the person of Christ. It's unlike anything else. As we receive the message of Christ by faith, we receive the person of Christ. Paul says, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Not that you received simply the information concerning Christ or about Christ Jesus the Lord. You received Christ Jesus the Lord. How can that be? How can we receive something by simply hearing their story and, and their words? How can we receive someone who's not bodily present with us? That's not here. Be easy to explain receiving someone before us. If, if Christ showed up at your door this afternoon and knocked on your door, you would get off your sofa or get out of your lazy boy or I dream someday to have that leather recliner. Maybe you have one of those and you get out of that and you would go to the door and you would open the door and you could receive him. You could let him in and, and hear his words and Say that you've accepted him into your presence. But this person isn't before us. Not bodily. Christ has ascended. He, he's at the right hand of the Father. Yet Paul is clear that these Colossians received the person of Christ when they received the message of Christ by faith. Hugh Martin, an early 19th century pastor in Scotland, wrote a wonderful book on this subject, and as Hugh Martin pointed out 200 years ago, as we received the biography of Christ, he said we received the Christ of the biography. How? We remember that Christ ascended to heaven, and when he ascended to heaven, he promised not to leave or to forsake his people. Though he is not present here bodily, he has not abandoned his people. In fact, he told the disciples, didn't he, that it was better that he ascended to heaven. They wanted to cling to him and hold him here. And he said, no, 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 it's better that I go to heaven. Why? So that I can send the Spirit to you. He sends his Spirit. And he sends his Spirit and he pours it out upon his people. And he also told the disciples that, look, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit is going to recall to your memory all the things that I said and all the things that I did. And this is what happens when the apostles are writing the books of the New Testament. Word and Spirit, Spirit and Word, these two always go together. And this is how Christ comes to His people. The Word of Christ, the message of Christ by and with the Spirit of Christ. 
And this message that the Colossian Christians received of, of Christ's life and of His death and of His burial and of His resurrection, this message that you and I have this morning, as we receive it, we receive Christ. It is extraordinary. This is no dead history. This is not mere biography. The Word of Christ is living and active because the Spirit of Christ is at work in it and He is at work through it. And He impresses its truth upon our hearts that He renews. It's unlike any other word that you read or that you hear. Because the Word of God is God-breathed and Spirit-filled. We had only the biography of Christ, not the spirit of Christ. I want you to, to think about this with me. These two always go together. The, the word of Christ, the biography of Christ, and the spirit of Christ. You think if, if we only had the biography of Christ, the, the bare message of who He is without His Spirit. If Paul had said, you, you heard the stories about Christ Jesus the Lord then it would be intriguing history. It would actually even be fascinating to, to read these accounts, but it would be of no particular interest to us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would be fascinating. But what would it matter? It would be nice to hear that Christ did mighty works and that He was merciful and that He healed and that he forgave sins for those people in the first century. But we didn't see it. We didn't experience it. We didn't know it. We don't have it. And the best we could do is just wish that we had been there. And have a hope, kind of hopeful longing. Oh, how, how wonderful it would have been to see the power of God power of God in Christ and the calming of that sea. How wonderful it would have been to see the mercy that Christ extended to that bleeding woman. We wouldn't have known it. I just simply longed to see it and to experience it. But by His Spirit, we know that power. That power has taken this heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. By His Spirit, I, I, I know that mercy. He has taken this wretched sinner and turned him into a son. We experience it. We know more than by bare knowledge. We, we know, we assent to this truth and we trust this truth of what this biography tells us. And yet, on the other hand, if we did not have the message of Christ, but simply had the Spirit of Christ, it would be just mere sentiments. It would be just feelings about Him. His presence would be undefined. It, it would be indescribable. It, it would be shadowy and, and vague. We wouldn't quite know. We, we could compare our experiences to one another, but I'm not quite sure because my, my feelings are fleeting. 
and they're often wrong. I wouldn't quite know. Was that a real experience of Christ that I just had, or was that the burrito I had last night for dinner? Don't know. When we separate Christ from the Scriptures, He all of a sudden becomes a Christ of our own making and no Christ at all. We must have knowledge of who He is that we might assent and trust in Him. And so He gives us both. The extraordinary message of Christ comes to us by the Spirit of Christ in His Word. So as the Colossians received by faith the testimony concerning Christ, they received Christ. And so it is true of us. We know Him distinctly. We know Him precisely as He is revealed in the Scriptures, this extraordinary message. And His Spirit confirms that testimony to you, doesn't it? what he says in Romans 8. It, it confirms it to you. You know it. You know it is true. As Hugh Martin said, the biography is enlivened by the presence. And the presence is defined by the biography. The biography is very lifelike, but without the presence, it is not living. The presence, on the other hand, is living, but without the biography, is far from lifelike. So it's absolutely extraordinary. This biography is not dead. It's alive. And I can read a biography of someone from history. and I could read a biography on Martin Luther King Jr. or Napoleon or Stonewall Jackson. And we could read about the things that they've done, but we wouldn't encounter the person when we were reading that biography. You encounter the story of the person, some of the things that they said, what they did. You can, even today, you can even listen to some people that have passed away, that are gone, people from history. You can listen to their speeches. You could listen to a speech by Winston Churchill or by Ronald Reagan or by Malcolm X, and you can hear their voice and you can be stirred by those speeches, by what you hear, but though you heard their voice, you did not receive their person because they weren't present. The extraordinary message of Christ is wholly different. As you receive the message, you encounter the living person. He sent His Spirit. So, a living Word by His Spirit. This message that we receive, it isn't just what Christ said. It's what He said. When you and I read these Scriptures, it isn't just there that we have a picture of what Christ said and what He believed and what He did, but what He says and what He believes and what He does. It's true as a picture of what He said and He believed and He did, but it is even more than that. What He now says, what He believes and what He does. It's living. So when I read and hear Jesus say to the paralytic, when He says, man, your sins are forgiven, 
any man, woman, or child that comes to him. He says to them, your sins are forgiven. See, extended love to that man with the withered hand that dared to reach out to him. So those that reach out to him, he, he extends his mercy. As those disciples were on the sea and they were anxious and they were toiling and they were struggling and, and then he walks out to them and, and, and he just calms them and calms the storm. So, so he's with his people and he knows just the moment to, to secure them and to provide for them and, and to speak words of peace, be still. It's the same Christ. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And lo, He is with us even to the end of the age. Even as you could have received Him as you were Zacchaeus, and He showed up at your front door, and you opened the door and let Him in, so now you can receive Him by His Word and by His Spirit. He comes to us. He meets with us. He speaks to us. may be tempted to think, well, I would rather have him bodily present to receive him. Not easy to receive him and this message that I read and I hear, but well, let's suppose that Christ walked into this room this morning like he did in the scriptures, in the New Testament, in the synagogue, and he walked into that room. What would he do? He would do as he did then. He would walk to the front. And he would pick up the word and he would read it by the power of the Spirit. Now let's say when he walked into that room, and if he read that to us, we, we would say that we heard him, that we received him. We received his word because he was present with us. He spoke it and, and we received it. But let's say then he walked into this room and we like John or like Isaiah, when they met the living Christ, when they saw him in his glory, that they were they threw their heads down in humility. They didn't dare look upon him. Say that was us. As he walked down that aisle and he came up here, we, we threw our heads down and we dared not look upon him. But he got up here and he read the word and we heard it. What would we say? We would say that we heard him and we received him. Now say that he walked down that aisle and he stood up here and he tapped a pastor on the shoulder, a man that he has called to his service to proclaim his word. That he's gifted by his spirit. And he says to the pastor, you read it and you preach it. And we were still sitting there. And he was here. We would say, we heard him and received him. That's what occurs this morning. That's what occurs every Sunday morning. Christ is in our presence by the Word and the Spirit. And He speaks to us. He comes to us. And we receive Him as we receive it in faith. Paul here is encouraging them that they need nothing else. They've grabbed on to the essential message truth of Christ. Final point. 
Notice the emphasis of the message that the Colossians received. Paul gives a summary as they heard this message of Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection. And, and Paul summarizes it as this. He says, Christ Jesus the Lord. And that may strike us as a little odd. As, as good evangelicals, we would think, oh, well, if, if it is the message of the gospel, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, if we are going to summarize that, wouldn't we say it is the message of Christ Jesus, our Savior, Christ Jesus, the Savior? But Paul says it's Christ Jesus, the Lord. And this is why Paul knew about the message about this essential truth about the gospel that Christ triumphed over evil and sin and Satan and death and hell. If that was not absolutely true, then there was no gospel. That's absolutely paramount. And so it sits in the very middle. This extraordinary message without the emphasis of Christ as Lord is no extraordinary message. His victory over all of these things. If he is not conquered, there is no gospel. If he's not Lord over all, then he is Savior of none. And there is no message worth receiving. There's no deliverance worth having. There's no peace worth speaking of. There's no good news. And so it comes as no surprise that the Apostle Paul preached, he preached the Lordship of Christ. This was... The summary, actually, of all the apostles' teaching of Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection. I did some searching this week and was looking through the book of Acts. And in that book where the gospel is going out and the church is preaching the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ and, and the, the word is going out, you know that they use the term Savior only twice. Only twice in the whole book. They use the term Lord 99 times as the gospel is going. 99 times. And when you begin to look at the New Testament, this is no anomaly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Psalm 110 will be the most quoted of all the Old Testament passages in the New Testament. And what is that about? It is about Christ being Lord. Paul's favorite term for Jesus is Lord. He refers to Christ as Lord over 200 times in his letters. His life and his death and his resurrection. All of this subsumed under this banner that Christ is Lord. He's king. He is the conqueror. He's the victor. Lord. And when we receive this message handed down to us, we don't just... We don't just receive some tangential figure. We don't just receive some prophet or even an angel. We, we receive the Lord of all. It's absolutely extraordinary. You and I, as we hear this testimony, we receive the Lord who sits over heaven and earth as our own. He takes up residence in us by His Spirit. We receive Him. He is the victor over our sin, over our world, over our death, over our flesh, over our hell. He is Lord over it all. He lived and died and was buried and 
resurrected, that he might have victory over all of that for us. That is the message that is proclaimed. That is the message that must be received. So Paul was warning them, don't you, don't you go chasing after other things. You have it in the Lord of all. You have it all. He's done it all. He's purchased it all. And you've heard it all. Now Paul gives the application. It's really quite simple and really occupy us for all the rest of our earthly lives. He, he gave the indicative as you receive Christ Jesus. Now he gives the imperative, so walk in him. If he's Lord, if this message is true, if He is Lord, and He is Lord over all of these things, then, then He is Lord not only of your faith, but He is Lord of your life. Demands it. Makes a call upon Him. Faith and life go together. There's no separation, no compartmentalizing. Why? Because the Spirit has taken up residence in me. As I received that word by His Spirit, I was transformed into a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am His. And he is Lord over me. I'm His. That's all my life is to be yielded to Him. Not... not, not just that compartment that I call religion. and uh, he, he doesn't have his hand on my recreation or on my education or, or on my occupation or upon my family. All of it. All of my life is his. Paul was saying you must walk in him. As you received his life, so now you give your life to him. He has a right to it. He's to dominate our manner and activity. Receiving Christ is not the end, but it's the beginning of a life of faith. We often present the gospel as if receiving Christ and faith is the finish line. It's not the finish line, it's the starting gate. And it's not a hundred meter dash, it is a walk. It is a hard walk sometimes. One step after another. Sometimes going all over rocky ground, trudging along. But always upward, always heavenward, always onward. Paul uses three participles to define our walking in Christ. He says, rooted in Him, built up and established. He, he has the He has in mind here the idea of growth. That is that there they have roots that are in Christ, and if there are roots, there is the expectation that something will grow from it. He's saying your foundation is in Christ, and if there is a foundation, you expect there to be a building that would arise on top of that foundation. That There is to be growing in maturity and in knowledge and in faithfulness. But notice his caution here, his all-important point. The plant does not grow in different soil than it started. The building doesn't somehow grow upon a different ground. It's the same. As we began in Christ, so we continue in Christ. 
Our Christian life began in Christ, receiving Christ, the message of Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. And so it continues in the same way, by the Word of Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. Same ground, same soil. We don't need something else. We don't need something different. We don't need something more. These false teachers were offering. We walk in Christ. And the Christian life is this, this life of, of constant motion. There's no stagnation. There's no settling down. We grow. We're, we're built up in Christ. How? The same way we received Him, by His Word and by His Spirit. We cling to His Word. We cling to His Spirit. Sunday afternoons at my house, uh, after we get in a good Lord's Day nap, uh, if it's a good Sunday at our house, this doesn't happen every Sunday, we fail many Sundays, but if it's a good Sunday, I do a little catechism with the kids, it's a highlight of their week, and then we read a little bit of Pilgrim's Progress together. Uh, it's one of the favorite books in our house. John Bunyan's old book from the 1600s about this pilgrim, Christian. And Christian reads a scroll. He, he reads the Word of God and, and he's in this city called the City of Destruction. And when he reads that word, his entire life is changed. And one of the things I love about Pilgrim's Progress, I love it all, but one of the things I love about it is, is this picture that it presents of the Christian life of, of this continual walk from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Christian is, is just on this journey, day after day, on, from the city of destruction to the celestial city, after he has received this word by the Spirit, and it has changed him. It has wrought change in him. Now he's on a walk in Christ. Pilgrimage, one step after another. And there will be all these different characters that, that approach Christian, and some will try and dissuade him and talk him to get off of the path and, and to go off astray. And there will be times that he stumbles and that he gets a little bit off the path. And, but, but he's always moving. In constant motion. And as he goes over the long haul, he is going upward and he is going onward and he is going heavenward. And he's being conformed more to the image of Christ and delighting more in Christ and finding more love for Christ and more joy in Christ and more dependence on Christ and more knowledge of Christ. One of the things I most love is that Christian, as he is walking along, he holds next to his bosom on the whole walk the scroll, which is the word of Christ. Just, just holds it to his chest. Because it's by the same means. We walk in Christ by his word and by his spirit, even as we came to Christ by his word and by his spirit. As it began, so it continues. Paul was telling them, do not wander from what you have been taught. His amazing gift. 
I love how Paul ends this couple of verses. He reminds them to walk in this way out of gratitude. I think this extraordinary message that we have received. By the work of Christ's Spirit. It's all a gift. It's just something I received. This rootedness that he speaks of, this establishment that he speaks of, this growing up that he speaks of, it, it, those are all three in the passive voice. It, it's something that he gives to me. Just receive. So thankfulness, gratitude, necessarily marks the Christian life. Just walk. We have no right to boast, no claim to make, no pride to proclaim all that we have is a gift from His hands and so we just want to yield our hands and our minds and our hearts and our souls and our bodies to Him out of gratitude. A life that has been changed. A life that has been redeemed. Just living under Him. It's Lord of all. The Christian, He is your Lord. Dwells in you by His Spirit. He's given Himself to you in His Word. He is your Lord. So we walk in Him. And it is our delight. Joy. If you don't know Christ this morning as Lord, if you don't know Him as Savior, but you can. See, these extraordinary things, this extraordinary message that it has been proclaimed to you this morning. Christ lived, that He died, that He was buried, that He resurrected. And as you encounter that message, you encounter the person of Christ. The only question is, is whether you will receive Him. You can receive Him this morning. And you'll be on that pilgrimage with us to that celestial city. One day we shall no longer have to trod, we'll no longer have to take step by step, but we shall enjoy that eternal rest for all of eternity, dwelling underneath His Lordship as He is sovereign over all and everything is laid beneath His feet as a footstool and have perfect peace. I know all of these things that we have seen pictured in the gospel, not just by hearing, not just by an inward experience, but day after day after day for all of eternity. His love, His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His goodness, forever. We'll be under His Lordship. An extraordinary message we have. What a gift from His hands. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we do exalt you this morning. Thankful that you are a God who reveals yourself to us and has made a way for us in Christ our Lord. We're thankful that you and the Son poured out the Spirit upon us. This word is truly living and active. We pray that we would receive it and that we would be shaped by it we would live by it, by the power of your Spirit. In Christ's holy name we pray.